are there traumas in your life that you just can't seem to get past? Well, then right now, plug into the Power Narrative Chapter 14, Unlocking Your Resilience. I am your host, B. Green, a.k.a. Belief Narrative, empowering you through awareness, inspiration, and motivation through the power of story. If you enjoy your time here in the power plant, please like, subscribe, comment, and hit that notification bell. Years ago, I listened to this spoken word poet perform. I enjoyed the rhythm, the cadence, the way the words were cleverly woven together, but above all, I enjoyed what I understood to be the meaning of what he was saying at that time. Recently, I listened to it again and I discovered a much deeper meaning. So the story goes, this man was giving more attention to his phone than to his wife who called him out on it. And she basically said that his phone was his real wife. And instead of listening to her, he tuned her out again because he was too busy coming up with a clever tweet about her accusation. He said a few days later, he had a conversation with his dad about it. Now, mind you, this is how he described his dad. He said, my civil rights activist, war veteran, charming on my fourth marriage dad. Now he expected to get some sort of sympathy from his father. But instead, he got a conversation. He was told the story about why the marriage did not work between him and his mother. He said, it's the same reason that some of the people in his platoon never made it home. He painted the picture of soldiers running Too shell-shocked to be aware enough to duck when bullets were flying. Too shell-shocked to know that they were just about to step on a landmine. His father spoke about when he came home that that did not change for him. He was moving too fast to notice the things that he was missing. He said, son, slow down. What happened to me was I couldn't hear past the bombs. The first one didn't kill me. The second one hadn't even happened yet. But it ended our family. This time, when I listened to the performance, it dawned on me something that he was trying to tell his son. He did not do what he should have done because he was suffering from the acronym PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And we'll break that down in a minute. And again, this is something that I picked up, but the poet went in a completely different direction. The description of his father's age tells me that more than likely he was suffering from this acronym even before he enlisted into the war, strictly by what was going on in our society at that time. First two words, post-traumatic, meaning 
some traumatic event has occurred in your past. Last two words, stress disorder. Whenever you are reminded of this event, it produces a stress response, which throws you out of order, out of alignment. Let's go back to traumatic events. The concept of landmines and being shell-shocked. You see, landmines are designed to do much more than just kill the person who unknowingly steps on them. They are designed to strike fear and uncertainty into the hearts of those who survive the explosion thus producing a state of shock that unnerves the person on the battlefield to the point that they're unable to think clearly. Once in this state, even though you may appear to be in action, what you are in is a state of reaction. Let's say it's our reflexes. Well, what are your reflexes? I'm glad you asked. Reflex. Any automatic, unthinking, often habitual behavior or response. Real question. How much of your life is lived out of reflex and how much of your life is lived in intention, deep thought, preparation, true action? The one producing the traumatic events the reminders, the one planting the landmines, is the one in control. As long as the response remains pure reflex, pure reaction with that stress response to the point of disorder. The design is to keep one in a state of disarray. And the longer you stay in that state, the more familiar you become with it. I heard this profound statement, personalize it, dissect it, see if it rings true in your story, because I know it rings true in my life and my experience as a black man in this society. Everything that we know about ourselves, how we look at, how we value ourselves comes from wounded people. As I listened to the rest of what was being said, I started fact-checking. I started examining the information that I know about my family and the information that I know about myself. It gave me a deeper understanding, a different perspective and a deeper appreciation for my elders. It also gave me a deeper understanding of what I have to do with this new perspective. The traumas that they experienced shaped them. And over time, the seeds that were sown and re-sown in response to the pain and the repeated consequences of those reminders taken out of context begin to appear as a part of someone's natural character and watch how it grows. This behavior appearing like character is observed and retaught as a set of values. From here, they develop into 
a reputation of a family and continue to take it out of context. The reputation of an entire culture. And there's this acceptance of being broken. And I want you to be really, really careful about how you interpret this because we have a different feeling about things that are broken versus things that are wounded. A wound can't be healed. A wound needs attention, tender love, and care. But that will require being vulnerable and asking for help. But something broken, it just doesn't work anymore. Its value decreases. And instead of pouring time, effort, and money into fixing it, it can just be thrown away. There is a very, very powerful story about a man in the scriptures named Saul who terrorized the people of God. And here's the crazy part. He was doing it in the name of religion. Think about that. He believed with everything in him that he was doing the right thing. He had the law on his side and was just given the authority to go and hunt these people. By law, he could come into your home, arrest whoever he thought didn't believe as he did. Side note, he was given the power to persecute his own people. I mean, he was like Darth Vader attacking a city with no Jedi around. Right after getting permission to wreak havoc, he got a divine, supernatural visit from someone that he did not even believe in that confirmed that everything that he believed was wrong. I find it very interesting that the first thing that Saul lost was his eyesight because he needed to see things differently. One of the most important things that I find interesting in this story is that once he found out that he was doing wrong, it wasn't enough for him to just stop doing wrong. He was very vocal in his hatred against anybody who did not believe as he did. He didn't just get to slink off somewhere in silence and retire his hatred. No, he had to get busy planting new seeds and be just as vocal as he was before, only now in support of those who he did wrong. <laughs> and guess what? Now he was blind and at the mercy of those same people whom he terrorized. You reap what you sow. What you put out there will come back to you. You have to be man enough or woman enough to take what it is that you have dished out. But this is the beautiful part. Saul had to reject his former life to the point that he was renamed Paul. And in order to do that, in order to become this new person, he had to unlock his resilience. I mean, guilt could have stopped him dead in his tracks. I mean, he caused so much trouble for so many people that the majority of the rest of his life, 
he had to face the consequences of the trouble that he caused. But it didn't stop him from correcting his mistake because he understood why it was happening and he was given the strength to withstand it. He had to comfort those whom he hurt, starting with himself. No neutrality. Pick a side. At some point, we have to stop planting the wrong seed. But you have to be against the negativity that you planted. Eventually, the tides will turn. The good that you put out into the world will come back to you just as the bad did. But rest in the fact that you are taking a stand before Saul came on the scene was the story where Jesus foretold the traumatic events of his death to his pupils. He tells them that even though they are going to suffer this traumatic event, he tells them he's going to leave them with his peace, which is much different than the definition of peace that the world gives. Here's the most powerful part of this story. He tells them, let not your heart be troubled, nor let not your heart be afraid. Stop right there. You mean to tell me that surviving a traumatic event doesn't automatically doom my life to disorder? You mean to tell me that I have power over being troubled? Power over being afraid? You mean to tell me that I can find true peace in the midst of my troubles? The answer is yes. And we see this in Paul's life. And Paul gives this testimony. It's a powerful demonstration of how he unlocked his resilience. He said, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. Get back up again. Unlock your resilience. Find the strength to keep breaking these negative cycles. But before you can break a cycle, you have to first be aware of what it is. The alarm clock goes off, jarring us out of our sleep, alerting us that it's time to deal with the day. It's time to get up. It's time to get ready to handle the business at hand. But instead of getting up and jumping into action, as a reflex, we hit the snooze button, fall right back asleep. This reflex continues and continues and continues until now we have no other option. But to jump up until now, we have no option but to rush. Now, everything is serious. Everything is happening at a fast pace because we don't want to be late to where it is that we're supposed to be. Handling the business at hand is now urgent and we are not alert. All we want to do is go back to sleep. And now everything is a reflex, a reaction to the fact that we are in a hurry. So we rush through the basics, past the people in our home who very well could also be in a rush. And because we are in a hurry and not alert, it increases the possibility that we'll miss something, that we'll forget something. And as long as everything goes according to our plan, we will make it where it is that we are supposed to be 
right on time. But oh, if, if just one thing goes different, it is guaranteed to throw everything else off. And our attitude is determined by this everything must go my way equation. But in this equation, there are variables that we have not solved. But we count on it equaling what it is that we want it to. But that doesn't always happen. There are things that we did not account for that throws everything else off. Let's look at this from another perspective. There are things in our lives that are alarming. And instead of dealing with them, we hit the snooze button. We hit it a hundred times trying to ignore the fact that they are there. And all we want to do is go back to sleep. Pretend that we have more time than we do until it is something we can no longer ignore. Now we are rushing. Now everything is so serious. Everything is happening at such a fast pace. And all we want to do is go back to sleep to this false sense of security. This false sense of comfort. And everything is a reflex action. So we rush through the basics. Past the people in our home. Who may also be rushing right along with us. Because this is the model that we've shown them. And because we're in a hurry. And because we're not alert. It increases the possibility that we'll miss something. That we'll forget something important. And as long as everything goes according to plan, we will get where it is that we want to go precisely on time. But oh, if one thing goes different, it is guaranteed to throw everything else off. And our attitude is determined by this everything going according to plan equation. But in this equation, there are variables that we have not solved, that we count on equaling what we want it to, but so often it does not. There are things that we did not account for that throws everything off. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're forgetting? What is it that's so important that causes us to neglect that we are brilliant people? And if we just had a moment to think that we could solve for these equations, what is it? That makes us think that our reflexes are action when in fact it's just a response to trauma, a response to reminders, a response to landmines. And it prevents us from finding order. It keeps us from having to think. It keeps us from having to deal with the things that are at hand. And it keeps us distracted. Our brilliant minds convinced that we're broken when we are really functioning appropriately just according to the wrong plan at less than half capacity we have to get to the point where we say quit trying to soothe me quit trying to convince me of this diagnosis that has me accepting the fact that there's nothing that I can do about my situation because I have this disorder when my ancestors are telling me to organize. We are full of hope, full of promise, full of potential. 
but we're just too busy chasing after the distractions that keep us on the hamster wheel. So the challenge question is what steps are you going to take to break the cycle of reflex? Are you gonna break the cycle and just attempt to stop? Or are you going to unlock the power of your resilience and take a stance against what it is that you used to support? Thank you for your time. Be Green, reminding you that your story is being written every day. Take the pen.